This is the ASC podcast with your moderator, Kevin Pei. This program is brought to you by the Committee on Education Technology of the Association for Surgical Education. Embracing the mission of excellence, innovation, and scholarship, the ASC is impacting surgical education globally. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the ASC podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about an important topic, uh, sponsorship. And I can't think of a better uh, guest to speak about sponsorship uh, than Dr. Herb Chen. Now, let me introduce Dr. Chen. Dr. Herb Chen is an endocrine surgeon, the chair of the Department of Surgery at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. He's also surgeon-in-chief of UAB Hospital and Health Systems. Dr. Chen is an editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Surgery, president or past president of numerous national societies. He is a prolific surgeon scientist, a phenomenal uh, mentor to hundreds of mentees, a well-known bourbon connoisseur, and uh, most importantly, important to our topic today, he is a nationally recognized and effective, generous sponsor. Welcome to the podcast, Herb. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be here. Um, I want to first by start by thanking you for being a generous supporter of education research and uh, valuing education science as a career path. I think that's so important. So thank you so much. Oh, my, again, my pleasure. I think that's one of our most important jobs. Um, well, let's dig right in uh, to sponsorship. You know, I recently read this article in Academic Medicine, and the title of it was really striking to me um, because I feel like the last decade in, in surgical education has really been about mentorship. And this Academic Medicine article said, the title was, Mentorship is not enough. We need sponsorship. And so maybe, maybe we start with that um, point as a discussion point. You know, what, in your mind, what is the difference between a mentor versus like a sponsor? Um, it's a great question. And I think an important distinction because often people use the words interchangeably and they really are two different things. Yeah. So, but both are important both mentorship and sponsorship are important during your career because they allow you to achieve what you may not have been able to achieve alone. So, you know, I'll give you some examples and then really sort of walk through, at least in my mind, what the difference between a mentor and a sponsor is. Yeah, that'd be great. So mentors act as guides. They give you advice. They advise you, for example, if you're a resident, they're going to advise you on the best fellowship programs to apply to. Mm -hmm. And one can have many mentors um, that they go to for advice and guidance. The difference is a sponsor is someone who actively promotes your career using their influence to get you that key job, that key assignment, or that key promotion. So in the example I gave, you know, a mentor will advise a resident of the best fellowship programs, a sponsor will make a phone call to get you that fellowship. So if you think about, you know, what the difference between a mentor and a sponsor is, a mentor has mentees. Sponsors really have what I would call protégés. Yeah. Mentors, as I mentioned, advise you. Sponsors advocate for you. 
And because they advocate for you, sponsors have to be probably senior and highly influential in order to make that difference for you. Whereas mentors can be anyone really at any rank that can give you some advice. Um, mentors support you through discussion and active suggestions, but as mentioned, the protégés, I mean, the sponsors actively promote you using their influence to connect you to opportunities. And they're really personally vested in your upward movement and they champion you very visibly. Yeah. And so uh, being a sponsor is a much more sort of invested role and a much more active role. Those are, um, those are very helpful distinctions. You had mentioned, and I wanted to go back to a, a point you just made about having to be more senior as a sponsor. I wonder, can a junior person, can a more junior a faculty member be a sponsor in your experience? Well, again, it depends on the scenario of what you're trying to get. So for example, if you are a resident again, trying to get uh, a fellowship position, um, a junior faculty member who trained at that program and knows the people making the decisions can totally be a sponsor in that situation because they can actively make calls, use their influence to have them select you into their fellowship. But I think is, I think, you know, taking your question a step, if you're, let's say, a young faculty member and you're looking for a sponsor for your career, it's likely to be someone that's more senior sure. because you're trying to advance your career from where you're currently at. Sure, that makes sense. Um, you're obviously an uber accomplished academic surgeon, but I mean, if, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go back some years when you were maybe, let's, let's go as far back as when you were a trainee. Um, okay. have, you, have you benefited from sponsorship? And um, did you actively seek out the sponsorship or did somebody, somebody, did somebody just say, you know, Dr. Chen is gonna be my protege and I'm gonna sponsor him? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I obviously have had many great mentors and many, many, many great sponsors. And I think, you know, I could list a whole bunch of people who have, you know, served in both roles for me. And I know how I've encountered them is through, you know, a number of ways, you know, going back to my training, obviously a lot of the faculty, the program director, the chair were both mentors and they were sponsors because they went on the limb to get me a job, to get me, um, they still do that right now to advocate for me for certain roles for, and so there are some that you sort of get associated with or they become because of where you train, where you are. And some sponsors and mentors I've gotten that necessarily that didn't train me, but were tied, I trained at um, Hopkins, yep. but we're part of the Hopkins family that they sort of got to know me through that um, connection of having trained there and being part of the Hopkins family. Sure. And therefore I continue to benefit from that sort of network that is created within the program. Yeah. 
And then you, you develop mentors and sponsors, obviously as a faculty member through people that you work with, but also um, so important that you can have uh, mentors and sponsors who are not directly connected to you through training or your work, but through the many professional surgical societies that we belong to. Yeah. Through, you know, non-surgical societies, you may be a part of a network, or sometimes through just meeting people through, you know, meeting or a lot of times through social events that you get connected to people, you know, at a cocktail hour, for instance, you may meet someone yeah. at one of the surgical meetings and you find out that they're in common or one of your friends connects you yeah. to someone who they think will help you. It's the all important networking, I guess, at these, at these uh, events. Yes. And so I think that the, um, you know, what, you know, when you're talking about, you know, succeeding or achieving a goal, you know, I think that in general is, you know, in broad categories, uh, to the, you know, a, a successful result to the two reasons. One is sort of ability and effort. And that's something that we can all control. Yeah. And the other piece is sort of opportunity. Um, we know many people who have a lot of effort, but perhaps have not given the opportunity and therefore cannot maybe climb as high as they could. Right. And conversely, right. we have people who have had plenty of opportunities, but they don't invest the effort um, to get there. And so the ops, uh, the absolute perfect scenario is that if you're someone who's invested willing to make the effort and you have opportunities created through your mentors and sponsors. Mm. Can we um, talk about sort of how you operationalize sponsorship at your home institution, but also on a national level? I mean, I, you're very humble about it, but Many, many people recognize you as an immensely successful and effective sponsor at multiple levels, including nationally, internationally. But also, I think what's really unique about how you do it is, I mean, looking from outside in, is I I've always feel like you have this critical eye to support diversity, equity, inclusivity. Is this an intentional plan that you implement, or is this just something that comes naturally and you're just like a nice chair that likes to sponsor people? <laughs> well, I, I think you're being way too kind to me, uh, Kevin. So, um, you know, there are so many uh, talented people in surgery who are great sponsors and who uh, go out of their way to help people. So just my own philosophy is I think it's, you know, one of the most important things we can do as academic surgeons is to train, mentor, and sponsor the next generation mm -hmm. of academic surgeons. And you, so I've had the good fortune to be part of the training of talented you know, residents and faculty at two institutions, both here at UAB and at my former job at the University of Wisconsin. But in addition to that, I've met so many talented uh, surgeons that you know, I've never worked with, mm. but just have met through meetings, through different interactions, and then, um, so 
my own philosophy is that, you know, if someone, if I meet someone and they want to talk to me or get advice from me, I always make time for that. Yeah. Um, because people made that time for me when I needed advice, needed um, uh, some guidance. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's, you know, it's a two-way street is that you have to be willing to ask for it. So I credit a lot of people who actually come up to me and ask if they can meet with me or talk to me or people who come up to me at meetings and talk to me um, and engage me. So part of it is on the mentee or the protege to engage their mentor or sponsor. I so, think, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I, oh, I was just going to say as a, just uh, on the, I was going to say the flip side to that. Uh, if you're the sponsor, your job is to create time and to really invest in people. Yeah. And um, because, you know, I've had, I've benefited from it. And also I sort of learned, um, you know, throughout my career, ever since, um, you know, I was very, very young too, is that I have, um, you know, I grew up in a very rural area where I was basically one of the very few Asian Americans mm -hmm. that lived. And I sort of recognized that um, being very underrepresented, I didn't necessarily have all the opportunities that others would have in that environment. Yeah. So as I have, um, you know, gotten a little older and have more opportunities to help other people, I sort of look for people who are in my similar situation where they have not necessarily had all the access to opportunities. Yep. And often those are people who are underrepresented. And, yep. and so they might not have such a broad network. And sort of as a whole, and I think you and I have maybe discussed this, but definitely have discussed it in the framework of the Society for Asian Academic Surgeons, yeah. You know, that, that was, a, I thought, I think a huge need within our field because um, Asian Americans in general are totally underrepresented at the leadership level. Yep. Is that as a group failed to advance to that. And so a group of us uh, really thought that we needed to create the society which actively mentors and sponsors um, young Asian academic surgeons to try to help them navigate and to provide them sponsors so they can succeed. But yeah. you know, my sponsorship just goes beyond, of course, <clears throat> young Asian Americans, because I think that um, there are many, many young people who don't necessarily have um, access to all the opportunities. And part of our job is to provide them with that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really, well, I really appreciate that. And I think it's a great um, segue to my next question about uh, sponsorship and diversity. Um, I, I wanted to highlight two recent articles that I read in the American Journal of Surgery with great interest. Um, one was by Dr. Reiner and the other by Dr. Quo. And much, and you, you already alluded to the, um, the concept of Asian, Asian, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander not being underrepresented in medicine um, necessarily, but being underrepresented in leadership, but certainly on a bigger scale, the whole diversity conversation. So what, you know, you've already shared a little bit, but 
how imperative is sponsorship to increasing diversity in our surgical culture? I think it's absolutely critical because like I said, not all people would have had access to the opportunities to lead. Yeah. Not all, but it's not instantly that bam, you become a leader <clears throat> or bam, you see, you can ascend the academic ladder. Yeah. It's a series of steps that require very thought, you know, thoughtful planning, thoughtful investment. Mm -hmm. And so before you can be at the very top, you have to do all the sort of jobs that lead up to that. And so there has to be a very deliberate plan of how, if you want to um, become a surgical leader, how you want to um, gain experience in a whole bunch of different scenarios, but I like to think of different leadership opportunities that build your portfolio. So by the time um, you've had all these experiences, your resume and experiences really prepare you to do that job well. So it's more than just um, creating the ultimate opportunity, but sort of thinking about how you can continually um, fill the pipeline of people and provide them with opportunities to not only get access to that position, but to grow into that position. Sure, sure. And this comes to this really interesting point. And I actually re recently says, um, saw something on LinkedIn um, about this, this concept of protege that you brought up very early on uh, in, our, in the podcast. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is that for you to be identified as high potential for leadership and promotion, you have to do all the groundwork. You have to do the you have to do good, excellent work to be identified by a potential sponsor. Is that fair? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that part of um, you know, a lot of people ask, how do you find find a sponsor? How do you find mentors? And there's you know, obviously we talked some about through connections that you have through your training program or where you work. Yeah. But part of getting noticed is doing great work, as you mentioned. Yeah. And doing your work, doing it well, doing it on time, you know, taking opportunities that are in front of you, getting them across the finish line mm -hmm. in a very uh, timely manner. Yep. And so if you do that, in general, it should create other opportunities for you to be able to do um, uh, more. And then, you know, the more opportunities that you have, the more you get recognized and that's sort of the self um fulfilling uh, prophecy that if you continue to do that, you will eventually hopefully have the opportunity to continue to do more and to uh, have access to whatever positions that you're seeking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing beats good old uh, sweat equity, huh? Yes, that, yes, definitely. And I think that, you know, it goes back to that um, analogy that I said about success is based upon, you know, two things, opportunity, you know, and, and effort. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some maybe challenges in spon effective sponsorship. Um, and I wanted to pick your brain about maybe a couple of scenarios. You know, I recently had a conversation with somebody in preparation in, to chat with you about sponsorship is that this, there's sometimes there's this perception 
that many decisions in healthcare are um, still made on the golf course, this old boys, all boys, old boys network. Um, but isn't it, so this, the person I was talking to brought up a really interesting point, which is, isn't that also a form of sponsorship, but perhaps not a very inclusive type of sponsorship? And if you're not a golfer, for example, how, do you, how does one break into such a network? Well, one solution would be to learn to golf, right? <laughs> yes. So that's something, you know, I did not golf until I became a faculty member. Yeah. When one of my, my boss at the time, David Mavi, he was chief of surgical oncology of Wisconsin, said, you have to learn to play golf. Yeah. Which I did. And um, <clears throat> I didn't really drink that much bourbon until recently either. <laughs> but you pick up these hobbies that both you learn to enjoy. And I definitely enjoy both a lot now. <laughs> but have been then helpful because it does allow you opportunities to network with people around the fun activity. Sure. So, um, but I know that that's not the question you're asking. I know you're asking is that, if there's these networks set up, you know, how do you break into them? And I think it is, you know, it is a challenge in some scenarios is that you see that these certain, you know, there may be a group of people who have access to, who have better access to people who are willing to sponsor. Yep. And I think that, um, and if you're lacking sponsors, I think it's good for you to actively go out and seek them. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I get emails from people that, you know, that I have met just briefly, or in fact, in some people I've even never met mm. who just want to just connect with me and provide, you know, wants to ask me questions and stuff like that. <clears throat> so part of it is you reaching out if you're the one seeking the advice or sponsorship you have to be a little proactive. Yeah. You have to join societies. Yeah. You have to take the time to go to that social event to meet more people. I mean, it's, it, um, you can invest your time into trying to establish these relationships. And I mean, I have, I take a lot of people, you know, when I go to a meeting, like I, uh, it's uh, pretty predictable. I'm going to go to the academic surgical congress. Right. I do get a few emails before that meeting from people who said, "Hey, I'm going to be up this meeting too. Would you have time for a coffee or just a chat?" And if anyone asks me, I make time for that. Yeah. Well, that's amazing, though. I mean, Herb, I, I don't, and and yes, there are probably a lot of people in academic surgery like you. Um, but it's great to hear, I think, for our audience, especially uh, junior faculty and trainees, is that um, American, American um, leaders of American surgery are not that scary. They're approachable, right? <laughs> you, can, you, can do a, you can do a cold email to Dr. Chad and he will answer. And you know what? Um, I don't want to keep on plugging SAS, but I think one of the great things about the SAS meeting is that's a meeting that focuses on mentorship, sponsorship, yep. and focuses on, well, if you look at the attendance, there are a high number of surgical leaders, both chairs, division directors, and come that come to that meeting. And they do workshops and then they do breakout sessions. And so this is a, that's a great meeting because uh, it's often said the ratio of chairs to attendees is probably the best 
And, <laughs> and so you have the opportunity to go to a meeting where there's a high likelihood you'll get direct interaction yep. with some of the surgical leaders. Yep, so that's a great opportunity. So why wouldn't you do that? Right. I think sometimes the barrier is just not knowing people and, and, and of all the organizations, um, you're looking for that organization where people look like they're going to embrace you, right? Even though they don't know you. And it sounds like SAS is one of those places. Yes. Um, we can probably talk on and on about sponsorship and I, but we always want to, but I, but um, we want to end the podcast um, with what we normally do on the ASC podcast, which is to ask our expert and our guests, um, any career advice, tips, tricks for navigating this career uh, in surgery. Oh gosh, Kevin, that's, uh, <laughs> that is like a topic that we could talk actually for hours yeah. about but I think in context of what we're talking about today, mentorship and sponsorship, and I would just end with a couple of things is that one, you know, both mentors and sponsors are important for success. I think two, you can have multiple mentors and sponsors and one could probably say that's uh, probably best that you have multiple people doing that. Three, that it is it's an active process for you. That is, you have to engage these people. You have to invest in this relationship. And often you are gonna be the one that sends the email or initiates the contact and asks for the advice, asks for, or if you want your sponsor to do something, they're not gonna know necessarily you wanna do that unless you ask them. So those would be sort of the three points I would emphasize on this topic. Oh, I love that. Those are so practical um, take-home points for our podcast listeners. Um, so uh, I want to thank you for joining us uh, and giving us your time and sharing your wisdom about sponsorship. I know that our listeners, many of our listeners are probably actively looking for sponsors across the country. And I would certainly take Dr. Chen's advice to heart, which is that those of us who are looking for sponsors um, need to be proactive in the process and not sit around and and hope and pray and wait that somebody is going to see our uh, see our shining star and, and uh, sponsor us. Dr. Chen, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, podcast listeners, please stay tuned. Uh, subscribe uh, in all of our podcast channels, and we will see you at the next time. Thank you so much. And this wraps up another edition of the ASE podcast brought to you by the Committee on Education Technology of the ASE. You can find many great resources on our website at www.surgicaleducation.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and we look forward to seeing you on the next one.